I hear people tell me, well, why are there so many different kinds of churches? If you're all followers of Jesus, shouldn't all the churches look the same? I'm going, no. It wouldn't be so boring if there's only one color in the world. God was giving us a deeper stewardship as Mosaic that we need to plant a flag in the future and call not only humanity there, but the church there as well. This conference is us together. And what Mosaic's calling is, what our mission is, is for us to be a voice in the wilderness. We want to be the place where everyone knows they have a place called home, where they don't have to agree with us to be with us, where they don't have to believe to belong. This is Mosaic. We plant our flag on this ground. Join Erwin McManus, Brian Houston, Judah Smith, and more for the Mosaic Conference, September 22nd through the 24th in downtown Los Angeles. Register and get more information at mosaicconference.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Mosaic Podcast. We're coming to you from the heart of Los Angeles, California, and it is our joy and our privilege to know there's a tribe across the world that has joined us on this mission of Jesus. I'm amazed how many people have told me that it's this podcast that has really given them life, has renewed their faith, and for many of them have rediscovered Christ. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged and helped and strengthened and maybe even rediscovered your faith because of what's happening here at Mosaic, I want to ask you to take a step and become an investor in what God is doing through Mosaic. I love the fact that our community here in Los Angeles has been committed to you. Now I'm going to ask you to be committed to them because together we can do more than we could ever do alone. So I want you to go to the mosaic.org give section of the website and I want you to make a commitment to be a part of taking this message across the world. When we receive, we should be grateful. But when we give, we are now expressing that gratitude in tangible, practical ways. Let's together get the message of Jesus to every corner of this planet. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for joining the tribe. What a, man, you guys just look beautiful. It's so, so amazing to be together today. Let's just pause and one, thank you guys for leading us in worship tonight. We're so grateful. And if you're our our guest or maybe this is your first time here, you're not sure how you got in here. Man, we're so glad you're here. I hope you're in the middle of a road and you can't get out. I hope you're just kind of stuck here for the duration to hang with us. And we're just gonna pray and thank God for this moment. Thank you, Father, so much that even even on this day, on September 11th, where we remember what happened 15 years ago, we can be filled with hope. Even in those moments where we are reminded of the worst of humanity, we are also reminded that there's something more in us And we don't have to lower ourselves to an inhumane expression of who we are. But that we can be the advocates of peace and grace and compassion and kindness. God, I just pray for everyone who is here tonight. Everyone who is within the sound of my voice that you would speak into their lives and go beyond any words I could ever find. And bring hope where there is despair and forgiveness where there is bitterness. 
and strength where there is weakness. Pray, Father, that you would replace hate with love and fear with faith. That somehow, somehow, you would whisper to every heart how much you love them. And if you would, we'd just whisper that Jesus is your name. So that you might be more than a mist or an idea or a myth. But that you, God, might become real and personal and intimate to each of us. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. That's always the awkward transition where you want to clap and I tell you to sit down. That's right, I'm just glad we don't get everything right. Every once in a while, you get an idea and it just sort of surprises you. And usually those ideas that that erupt out of your soul, they're not out of a vacuum inside. They come out of a deeper place, a place where you were having a conversation with yourself that you didn't even know you were having. And in a few days, we're going to step into our conference. We're going to launch something that really we have not done before. And as we were coming together and forming our thoughts around it, and we were so careful to pick the theater at the Ace Hotel, to be in downtown LA. We were so meticulous about so many of the details, but we didn't have a theme. And when we were in our kitchen and Aaron looked at me and he said, we need a theme. All I can tell you is it was as if I heard the theme at the same time that he heard the theme. I didn't know where it came from. I said, oh, it's a voice in the wilderness. And since that moment when we wrote that down, I've been wondering where did that come from? I kept thinking of all the things I've read in the scriptures, of all the things I've ever reflected on, why did that surface so quickly? It was so clear to me. And a part of it is because there's a huge resonance in my soul with the person that those words are identified with, this guy named John the Baptist. There's something about John the Baptist that, that I, I, I feel a connectedness with. But it's, and it's not only John the Baptist, it's even the context of his life, his mission, and his message. See, I, I remember what it was like to not know if God existed. I remember what it was like to wonder if God was an illusion, a myth, an idea. I remember even at times thinking that the idea of God was a cruelty to the human spirit, that we could imagine a creator who knew us and cared about us and for that to be nothing but a false hope. See, I can remember the times in my life where I felt that I was desperately trying to find God, and God seemed completely indifferent to me. And I don't think I'll ever get over that, and I hope I never do. Because I know that there are millions and millions and millions of people, even right now, who can be perceived as indifferent to God, closed to faith, antagonistic to who Jesus is, and that's not the reality. The reality is that there's a frustration inside of them. That if there is a God, he should be more readily available. If God existed, he should make himself more clear. And certainly if Jesus is who 
His advocates and followers claim he is. He should speak to us with a clear voice so that we can actually know that he's the one who's calling us to life. One of the downsides of this condition that I found myself bearing for the last 10 years called tinnitus, this loud ringing in my head, is that it affects the way I can actually hear. It affects the way I hear, especially in a crowded room when everyone's talking. Have you ever been at a party or a social event where everyone's talking at the same time and it's difficult enough to hear the person that you're just a few inches away from? But what I began to discover is that this loud ringing in my head, that when someone would turn their head, their voice would disappear with them. And then they keep talking. And I cannot tell you how many people do not realize that they're constantly moving their head while they're talking to you. They're so distracted by everything going on in the room that they're looking at all the different people. I'm not going to say that there are guys looking at a bunch of girls. I'm just saying that whenever you're talking to someone, they're not really looking at you. They're looking at everyone else. And for me, their voice would disappear every time. I lost eye contact. And I would, I would try to piece the conversations together. And it was so frustrating. And what I realized is for so many of us, the silence of God is more the result of all the noise that is cluttering up our souls and we think that God is silent, but actually we just keep losing God in the noise that haunts our brains and swallows up our attention. I love the fact that in the midst of that kind of moment, God sends a man named John. I want you to step into this with me. Because for us, the conference begins tonight. Tonight, we begin our journey to be a voice in the wilderness. Not just us as individuals, but us as a community. In John chapter one, beginning in verse 19, he writes, now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. Who do you say you are? What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, this is a unique enough moment, but the backdrop makes it more extraordinary. You see, when John steps on the scene, there had been 400 years of silence between God and humanity. From the closing of the book of Malachi to the opening of the book of Matthew, there were 400 years where the people of God had not heard the voice of God. Now, they still had all the external Acrements of, of religion. They had a temple, they had priests, they had all the ritual and all the routine. And what's really tragic is that all the things they were doing when they actually knew God, they just kept doing when they no longer knew God. All the things they did out of response to God, they now did simply out of ritual and habit. And so they had priests who did not know God, a temple that did not carry the presence of God. They had scriptures, but they did not know the voice of God. 
And what's amazing is that this man, John, his father's name was Zechariah. And Zechariah was a priest. And Zechariah was a priest in the line of Aaron of all the priests. He had the blood of the priesthood in his veins. And he was chosen to execute the altar in essence. He was going to light the incense in a moment of worship in the temple of God. But he didn't expect to meet God. Because the priests would go into the temple and they never met God. They would go into the temple and they would just be a routine. It was just a ritual. It was empty and meaningless. And so when Zechariah enters into the temple, he is confronted by Gabriel, the angel of God. And God essentially speaks into Zechariah's life and says, Zechariah, God is about to act. The Messiah is going to come. And your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. And her baby's name is going to be John. Now, if I had an angel confronting me in the temple of God, I think that would be enough evidence to believe. But not for Zechariah. Zechariah looks at the angel and says, how is this possible? I'm too old. My wife's too old. She's barren. We could not have kids when we were of age. How in the world can we have kids now? Now, why is it he could actually talk to an angel and say, I don't know if this could happen? (laughs) And then the angel says to him, Zechariah, whose name means God remembers. Because you did not believe, you will not be able to speak until what God has spoken comes to pass. Zechariah had the opportunity to end 400 years of silence, but his lack of faith in God allowed the silence to continue. See, if we're going to be a voice in the wilderness, we have to commit to shatter the silence. Zechariah, he knew more than he was willing to embrace. He denied what God had spoken into his life. So he walks out of the temple as a priest who had nothing to bring to the world. But then his son becomes the voice in the wilderness when his father's voice was silenced in the temple. There are people all over the world who are desperately trying to make sense of life. They're desperately trying to make sense of God and they cannot hear God in the maddening noise that becomes a painful silence. And it's not because God isn't speaking. The great dilemma is that God speaks through his people and his people have lost their capacity to speak into the world. Have you ever been around people who just have a code language? They just know exactly what they're talking about, but no one else knows what they're talking about. That's why I won't even play Pictionary with my wife, Kim. Because I always say, oh, it's men against women. I'm like, yeah, I'm not feeling that. I do not want to try to convince five, six guys that my movements are somehow communicating some kind of message. My wife will get up there, and it can be something ridiculously difficult. Like... A midnight, I don't know, gone with the wind. And Kim will go up there and go, and they go, gone with the wind. <laughs> no, that's not possible. You just can't, you, that, that doesn't work. It's like, they'll go, it'll be like Charles Dickens. And Kim will go, Charles Dickens. And I'm like with the guys. And the movie could be Braveheart. I'd be going, 
They're like, ER! Taco Bell! I mean, you just cannot pull it off with these guys. And, and, and in fact, there, there's almost a connectedness when, when there are people like you. We use this personality assessment. We don't use it as much, but we used to use it quite a bit called the Myers-Briggs. And, and, and what we discovered here is that so many people at Mosaic have almost the exact identical Myers-Briggs. It's a personality structure that gives you 16 boxes that you get to shove people in because we all love boxes. And, uh, <laughs> and what we discovered is that there's this one box where only 1% of people are supposed to be graphed, but about 80 to 90% of mosaic falls in that box. It's an extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. It's an ENFP. And, and, and then the other 19% to 99% are around that box. They may not be extroverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. They're just extroverted, intuitive, feeling, judging. Or they're introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. And, and so you, you have this wide variety of people, but they're all intuitive feelers. And they have nuances. They can be Pastor Joe Smith or Pastor Emerson the Watney, but they're, or Pastor John Rollo, but they're all just a bunch of intuitive feelers. And what I love about intuitive feelers is that they're the, they're the warm fuzzies of the world. They're, they're, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but ENFPs, ENFJs, these intuitive feelers, they're performers. I know. It's like, whoa, who would have ever guessed that LA would have all of these people who are very similar moving here because they love the stage. And I'm not an intuitive feeler. I admire intuitive feelers. I love intuitive feelers. I kind of hate the fact that they're so likable. But, but everyone loves them because they're like the perfect human. And then there's that other 1%, the 1% of people who come to Mosaic and feel as if they can't hear the music that everyone else is dancing to because they're just so different. And one of those people is Haven, who played the drums tonight. You guys know Haven? She's amazing. And I just want to make sure I say this to all the single guys. She's married to a guy named Aaron. Uh, Haven is not an extroverted, intuitive feeler. She's on the other side of the spectrum. And she said to Mariah, I feel like you guys have like your own like secret language or a language I cannot understand. It's almost like you guys know what you're saying. I, 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 and she always feels like she's coming into the conversation too late. And in fact, Mariah said, well, it's, it's because Haven, you're so rare here. You're like a rare bird. <laughs> and everyone wants to admire you. Everyone wants to have you. You see, we, we heard there were people like Haven. <laughs> we, we know there are paleontological studies where the skeletal remains of people who are highly structured once existed. <laughs> we know this. We know that there are people in the world who actually see things in categories and they see things in organization and they actually see details. And rules matter. <laughs> and so here at Mosaic, she's, she's probably the most valuable human being in our organization. Everybody's like, I need a little haven in my life. Because they know that she'll organize the chaos, but the moment she takes a deep breath, they just create more chaos. <laughs> but you see, what happens is that we're really good at communicating with people who are like us, but we're not very good at communicating with people who are different than us. And the church developed a language where it was really good at talking to people who already believed, filled with jargon and cliches. And the problem, of course, is that whenever we use the jargon and whenever we use the cliches, everyone who believes says, that's right. 
But those who do not believe, not only do not understand that language, they oftentimes are actually even offended by it and repulsed by it. And one of the things we've made a commitment here in Mosaic is that we're going to shatter the silence. And it's not just about making sure that conversations are being had with the world because there are conversations happening everywhere. But one of the things we need to realize is that we have a planet full of people who have actually rejected who God is. Have rejected what Jesus has done for them, not because they don't want to know God and because they don't want to find God, but because the way we communicate who he is doesn't make any sense to them at all. And and I I was trying to think about this. I was reading an article today about people with higher IQs. And, And on the list of people with higher IQs, it said, if you're an atheist or a liberal, you're probably smarter than everyone else. And when I saw that, I, I, I thought about my friend that we were having lunch together at Cafe Gratitude, which shows you how committed I was to him. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said, you seem too smart to believe in God. And one of the things that really breaks my heart is that oftentimes people who have a meaningful intelligence do not feel that God is an intelligent option because we allow the same messaging to go out to the world and then we do not take responsibility to communicate who Jesus is to those people that God has entrusted us with. See, you need to shatter the silence of being a voice to those who are desperately listening and trying to find God's voice but can't make sense of it in all the jargon and cliche of religion. And we as a community, we've done the hard work and we've made a commitment to use a language that is human and honest, that's transparent and real. And we do not allow ourselves to hide our faith behind cliche and superficial answers but we grapple with the tough, difficult issues of life. And you know what's amazing? It's not the answers that help a person find God. It's the authenticity of your conversation with God that shatters the silence. But not only does John shatter the silence, and that's how we become a voice in the wilderness, but he has an interesting relationship to the light and to darkness. Because John came to dispel the darkness. But there's a curious dynamic between him and Jesus. In John chapter 1 verse 6 it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I love that intro, by the way. I I want that to be my resume. I want that to be my vita. Because when I travel around the world, the longer they take to introduce me, the more unknown I know I am. Because when they're reading off stuff like crazy, what they're trying to do is convince the audience they should listen to you. I just want mine to say there was a man from God named Irwin. Wouldn't it be great? There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness of the light. When I read this, I think, really? Light needs a witness? There's a light. I'm not the light, I'm just a witness. I want you to see, there's a light right there. 
Now, that seems like an incredible waste of my life. This spent my life being a witness of a light because if there's a light, it seems like everyone would see it. Especially when there's nothing but darkness. But what it tells us around that description in verses three through five, it says about Jesus, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and here it is. And that life was the light of all mankind. See, sometimes the scriptures uses metaphors and we lose the meaning. See, the light that Jesus brought was the life that Jesus carried. And the life he lived because he was alive when everyone else was the walking dead, that was the light. See, it wasn't the miracles. It wasn't that Jesus walked on water. It wasn't that Jesus fed the 5,000. It wasn't that Jesus made the blind see or spoke to Lazarus and called him out of the dead. The light that Jesus was, was the life that Jesus had. And he himself, it says that through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 9 he goes on. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. How is it possible that Jesus could come into the world and be the light of the world, to walk in the midst of darkness and for no one to recognize the light? See, if you live in the darkness long enough, you think you see and you're seeing things as they are. What's amazing to me is that Jesus was the light, but he knew that no one would recognize the light. So he had to have John point to the light so that people could see John, and then through John, see Jesus. John's job was to make sure people recognized the light. See, our job is not simply to shatter the silence, but to dispel the darkness. See, when the light first comes on, that light can be blinding and overwhelming. And I think people misunderstand the light of God. See, I think a lot of people feel that God is condemning and judgmental. Because when they stood in the light, they saw things that had been hidden. See, it's difficult when God turns on the light. And we blame God because he caught us naked. And we think the light made us naked, but the light didn't make you naked. You were naked in the dark. See, the light didn't break you. You were broken in the dark. The light didn't condemn you. You were condemned in the dark, and the light simply came on, and you saw your condition in the dark. And unfortunately, the church took this light and turned it into a spotlight so we could catch people in their brokenness. Turned it into an interrogation light so that we could judge and condemn the world. See, John came to point to the light, not to point to the darkness. And he came so that we could actually recognize the light and move toward that light so we could set people free from the darkness. And he knew this about Jesus, that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to bring the world life. 
And somehow along the way, we lost the plot. The church became known as the epicenter of condemnation and judgment. The church became known as the most unsafe place in the world because if you are imperfect, if you're broken, if you're struggling, if there's a darkness in you, you'd better not go there because they will put the light on you until you're sweating and you confess your inadequacy to be loved or to matter. The light was always supposed to be a guide to freedom. When we condemn the world, we are not the light, we are the darkness. When we bring guilt and shame to the world, we are not the light, we are the darkness. Because when you step into the light, you realize the light was never about revealing your brokenness, but bringing your healing. Wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if people looked at you and me and they saw us pointing to a light that freed us from guilt and shame, freed us from judgment and condemnation so that they could trust the light because they could trust us. That's why we call this community Mosaic because we just openly acknowledge that we are broken and fragmented people. Irregular, sometimes perceived worthless pieces that are brought together by the masterful hand of the artist who is God to create something beautiful, especially when his light strikes through us. See, when the light and life of God dwells in us, we become a work of art and we become a guiding light to those who are desperate to find hope and freedom in the world. But then Mark adds another nuance to John's story. He begins his gospel like this. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Oh, by the way, have you noticed that everywhere the story is about John, it's actually about Jesus? I know this is going to be a tough one. If you want to be a part of the story of God, Jesus is going to be the central character in your story. And I think a lot of us, we want Jesus in our life, but we want Jesus to be supporting cast. We want top billing. We want to be the lead character. We want to be the hero of the story. We want Jesus to be our Robin, because I am Batman. And, and I want you to know that you can have your own story, but it's going to be a small little story. And you get to be the lead character of your story. But when you enter into the story of God, you are not the lead character. Jesus is the lead character, and you get to be supporting cast. But it's okay, because it's an epic film. Any supporting role in the story of God is bigger than the lead role in story without God. Oh, that's, so it goes on. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in, the, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. Prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt, which is kind of dope, 
and around his waist, and he ate locusts and honey, which, back to cafe gratitude. Although, I don't know if locust counts in the vegan category, and, uh, but anyway. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It is not incidental that it says, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. See, they kept expecting someone to come out of the temple and bring back the voice of God to the world. But God did not need a priest in the temple. He met a barbarian in the wilderness. And when John stands declaring, prepare the way of the Lord, he comes out of this desert. And you have to understand that in the time of Jesus, the desert was seen as dark territory. See, it's in the wilderness, in the desert, where demons live and flow. It's in the desert, in the wilderness, that the Spirit sent Jesus to go face to face against Satan himself, mano a mano, Jesus and Lucifer. And Jesus is at an away game. He goes into the desert, into the wilderness, and that's where he faces the darkest moment of his life. And in that conflict, we discover what they understood about John. When John came out of the wilderness, they understood that John had been in enemy territory. John did not grow up, and he could have because his father was a priest. He could have because his father was Zechariah. He could have because Aaron was his ancestor. He could have because he had the right to live in the safety and security of the temple. But he left the temple and went into the desert because he could not find God in the emptiness of religion. He had to find God and thrive in the wilderness with him. And if you're going to be a voice in the wilderness, you have to thrive in the wilderness. You have to thrive in the desert if you're going to be a voice to the world. See, people don't need you and me to talk about God in the comfort of our safe and secure lives. They need to know if we can step into the darkness and come out stronger than we were when we went in. I don't know what it is, but there's just this natural affinity toward domestication that seems to pull the human spirit away from the mystery of a life filled with adventure and risk. I remember when um, one of the presidential candidates came to my house. He came for a meeting, and as we were talking, he, he said, you know, we're at a war. And he goes, you know, it's, we're in. I said, we are. And he goes, yeah, we're at a war. We're at a war. It's us against them. And I said, well, what do you mean us against them? He goes, you know, it's us against them. We've we got we to take Hollywood on. We've got we to win this. We've got to take Hollywood back. And I, I looked at him. I said, I think you misunderstand. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, I'm not us. I'm them. <laughs> and, I said, if you're at war with them, you're at war with me. Because I am not here fighting against Hollywood. I'm here fighting for Hollywood. 
Jesus didn't save you from the world. He saved you for the world. And we need to understand that somewhere along the way, the church was seen as a hiding place to protect us from the rest of humanity. This is supposed to be a safe haven, but not for those of us who believe. It's supposed to be a safe haven for everyone who's desperately searching for God, for meaning, for life, for love, for acceptance. If you've survived the wilderness, you do not need a safe haven. If you've survived in the desert, you don't need the church to be a fortress. If you've lived in the wilderness, you can face anything that the future has prepared for you. And I love it that the priests and Levites came and said, who sent you? Who are you? They didn't know who he was. You know why? Because he did not become who they wanted him to become. See, and the church has used this word discipleship as a way of manipulating people to be standardized and conformed. We focused our energy on sin management to make people less. And I love John the Baptist. I love that he wore camel skin. I love that he wore a leather belt. I love that he ate locusts and honey. I, I just love that he's not anything that he was supposed to be. I love the fact that this is who God chose to prepare the way for Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, we go, well, how can I be like Jesus? Right? Because Jesus is God. I, God. I look at John the Baptist and go, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you did not pick Ken and Barbie to prepare the way for you. Do you know how much energy I've spent in my life trying to figure out what everyone else wants me to be? Do you know how much energy I've spent in my life trying to become what everyone else thinks I should be? Wasted so much energy in my life. See, if you try to shape your identity when you're already in the crowd, you're going to become everything except for yourself. I love the fact that John and Jesus became intimate. They became best of friends. They became brothers. John knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew exactly who he was when he stepped and declared this message. And the world around you, the people in your life, they dashfully need you to thrive in the desert. They need to know that you have found something, you have found someone that can help you overcome pain and brokenness. They need to know that you can find hope in the midst of despair. They need to know that you can find strength when you are weak. They need to know that there is more in you than there is in all the pain and suffering that the world has to bring. And when you thrive in the wilderness, when you come out of the desert, and I wondered about this, I thought, how come John can get away with saying repent? You ever notice that everyone else offends everyone when they say repent? I mean, John's like, repent. He, he uses like language like, you brood of vipers. I mean, he's, he's not like sensitive. And people flock to the river to be baptized. And I realize there's a difference when the guy in a robe comes out of the temple with all of his prestige and pomp and circumstance and says repent and all of his arrogance and self-righteousness than a guy coming out with camel skin <laughs> eating locusts with a little bit of honey so he can wash it down 
And so let me tell you, it's not about the surface. You need to repent because God has come to make you new. There is a reason why the religious leaders hated John and the people loved him. Because most people have enough of an intuitive radar to know when religion is empty. And all the God talk in the world will not hide for long the manipulation of people trying to control people through guilt and shame. John was speaking a hard word that would bring freedom and life to those who heard. But then in the midst of that, see, John was a voice in the wilderness and he shattered the silence and dispelled the darkness and he thrived in the wilderness. But John's life His story began 400 years before the silence. The story of John the Baptist was first told in Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to these words. Beginning in verse 3. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. And if he stopped there, you would have to conclude that the words of John were words of condemnation. If you stopped there, you'd say, oh, thank you, John, for letting us know we're like the grass. We just wither up and die. Thank you, John, for reminding us that we are dust and our lives are nothing. But it doesn't end there. He goes on to say this in verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Here it is. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you hear what God is telling us? That the reason John came into the world, the reason God shattered the silence The reason God made him his voice is not so that he could condemn the world and let us know we're like the grass who withers or the flowers who fall. We're not like the dust that returns back to dust. There is more in us than we could ever imagine. He said, I want you to understand this. I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I know you stumble. I know you fall. I know you're broken. I know that you have weaknesses. I know everything about you that you don't even know about yourself. But I want you to know something that you don't know about yourself. I will pour strength into you in times of weakness. 
I will pour hope into you in times of despair. I will pour life into you when you are nothing but death warmed over. And when you're tired, he says, I don't get tired. God says, I will put my strength in you and you will soar like wings of eagles. And some of you have given up on God. Some of you have given up on yourself. Some of you have given up on life. Because you, you thought you had it all together and you messed up. You thought you were ready to run and you stumbled and fell. You made a, a bold proclamation and you thought that your faith was strong enough to overcome that struggle. And you're broken and fragmented and you're afraid to get up and walk again. And I want you to hear what God is saying to you tonight. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. See, what John came is to bring a word that would elevate the human spirit. And if we're going to be a voice in the wilderness, it's more than just shattering the silence. It's more than just dispelling the darkness. It's more than just thriving in the wilderness. We have to become that voice that elevates the human spirit. We need to be that place that I can see it. I can feel it. Can't you see it? We're going to have a day. I can imagine when just thousands of people are standing outside these doors, begging to get in, and they don't even believe in God. They don't even know who Jesus is. They just know that the church is not the epicenter of condemnation and judgment. That the church is a fountain of hope and life. There are going to be people outside these doors that I don't even believe in God, but I can't live without the hope that comes from this place. I don't even know who Jesus is, but I need the strength that comes when I'm with them. And I've been told too many times, I've been told too many times, Erwin, you sound like a humanist. Because I believe in humanity. But I think it's a tragedy when a person who says they have faith thinks all they should do is wait till they die so they can finally have a life worth living. There's something wrong with a religion that keeps waiting for the end of time before Jesus makes everything new. I think there's something wrong with a religion that looks at injustice and violence and poverty and homelessness and emptiness and says, we can't do anything about that. And if evil, if evil men have the, the conviction to hijack two planes and crash them into two buildings and kill thousands of innocent people, then we need to stop sitting waiting for God to do something. We need to realize that we are what God is doing in the world. Let's believe. Let's believe in great things. I've never seen a world without violence, but I refuse to stop believing there can be a world without violence. I've never known a world without injustice, but I will not believe there cannot be a world where there is justice everywhere. I have never seen a world without poverty, but I refuse to believe that we cannot have a world where every single person has a meal, and every person has a home, and every person has a people. We have been entrusted with something special. Today, I guess I'm talking to us as a people.
the church needs to stop being a place where we use it as an excuse to not care about those who do not agree with us. It's time for us to lay our lives down and make the church the most beautifully sacrificial community in the world. Where every person who doesn't believe in God believes in us. Because we're just here to point to the light, to point to the life, to testify of what we've seen, what we've heard, what has changed us. And when I remember that, that I can be a voice in the wilderness, it changes everything inside of me. It changes everything. Because I have bad days, how about you? I have days I just feel crushed by life. I have days I just want to give up. I have days where my dreams just seem like they're nothing but the material for rubble. And yet, every time I reconnect my heart to the reality that I'm a part of something bigger than me, that I'm not the hero of this story, that I'm not the central character, but he's invited me to be a part of the Magnificent Seven, to be part of his entourage, to be part of his league. Then I remember we are unstoppable and we're going to win because we're not here to fight with humanity. We are here to fight for humanity. I just want you to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you thought God was against you. You thought that he didn't care about who you were. Maybe you've been looking for God and struggling to find God and you thought maybe God was indifferent or uncaring or just not even real. But tonight somehow you know, at the core of your being you know that God loves you that you matter and that Jesus was God's desperate engagement. So that he could meet you and you could meet him and have his life in you. So what I wanna do before we leave, if you're here tonight, you say, Erwin, I know I need Jesus in my life. I've never crossed that line of faith. I'm terrified, but I, I want to trust God with my life. I want his freedom. I want his love in me. I want to lead you in a prayer. There's nothing magical in this prayer. It's just an honest conversation with God. I want to lead you in a prayer where you can invite Jesus into your life. And I'm telling you, If you speak it from the sincerity of your soul, Jesus will come and you will belong to him. But before I pray, I wanna know that that you're ready to do that. I want you to take the small act of faith. It's gonna feel huge for you. I want you to take your hand and I want you to lift it up really high and say, that's me tonight. I am ready to give my life to Jesus. I need God in my life. I'm ready to step into faith. Just raise your hand right now if that's you. All over the room. Anyone else right now? Just hold your hand high. 
I want you to do this because I want you to make a physical response to what your soul is telling you. Anyone else right now, just hold it up high before I pray. Beautiful. Beautiful. One last moment, anyone else? I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. I want us all to pray it together so that those who are praying for the first time know they're not alone. Let's pray these words. Jesus, I give you my life. I know you died on the cross for me. That you rose from the dead. That you've come to set me free. And I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. I receive your life in me. I declare Jesus as Lord. And I belong to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those who right now just prayed that prayer for the first time. I pray, God, for those who took this huge step of faith and trust and just crossed that line and said, Jesus, I give you my life. I pray that right now you would just wrap them up in your love and let them know that you have heard their prayer and that today is the beginning of everything, the beginning of new things. I pray that right now they would know that they belong to you and that nothing but nothing can ever take them from your love. And then no matter how many times they stumble and fall, no no matter how many times they fail, no matter how many times they mess up, that they always belong to you, that they're always welcome home. And I pray that they would know that they have a family, that they have a tribe, that they have a people. And Father, I pray for all those who are here, who in their hearts long to be a voice in the wilderness. I pray, Father, that you would take them out of the safety of a declaration that only sounds loud on Sunday, that they would shatter the silence on Monday and every day for those who desperately long to hear your voice. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Can we just give a round of applause and thank God for those who come here? Beautiful. We're going to have another song before we close out tonight. I just want to remind you guys that about a week and a half, we're going to be meeting together on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at the theater at the Ace Hotel for the Mosaic Conference of Voice in the Wilderness. And if you've not registered, just want you to register tonight. And part of the reason it's so important for you to register now is because if you all register on the last day, we have to make all these changes and we have to make all these um, adjustments. And so it just helps us to know you're coming so that we can prepare well for you. And so register tonight. If you waited to the last minute, because that's just who you are, it's the last minute, okay? And, and by the way, remember I talked about those, uh, those personality types? Uh, Mosaic is full of personality types that thinks that the last minute is just a little too soon. (laughs) But don't miss out on what God is doing. This is an important moment for us. What we do together, what we do together can leave a lasting impact. And long after no one remembers our names, long after no one knows who it was that was here, I think a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, People will look back on LA and say, we can't imagine a time where Jesus 
wasn't the central figure of Los Angeles. The world has incredibly beautiful cities known for extraordinary things. Let's make sure our city is known as a place where the beauty and wonder of Jesus became clear to the world. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, we can do together what we could never do alone. Go to mosaic.org slash give and join us in taking this message and spreading it across the world. God bless. Thanks so much.